Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Hear the word of the God through the Message Bible. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise. That's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you will never be able to collect. But if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise, and God's promise at that, you can't break it. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God in His way and then simply embracing Him in what He does. God's promise arrives as pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it, those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is father of us all. He is not our racial father. That's reading the story backwards. He is our faith father. We call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in Scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do, raise the dead to life, with a word make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, You're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, It's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it is said, Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham, it's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, set us right with God. Gracious Father, we come to you this morning saying thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we ask that there be a special blessing and a touch from you for families who are struggling just because it's tough living for you. Lord, whether they're struggling with the need for healing, be with them now. Lord, I ask that you would help me to call upon you for guidance, to call upon Jesus Christ for his undying love, and to call upon the Holy Spirit for your constant, your constant, your constant wisdom. Lord, move me behind the cross and allow your words to come forth for your people in a way that is pleasing unto you. Cover each of us with your spirit open our hearts our minds and our souls that we may receive your holy word 
And when it penetrates our hearts, we will go forth and do what you've called us to do. Oh, gracious Lord, nurture us through your word. Teach us to accept your freedom. Release us from all fear and unforgiveness so that we may receive your promise this day. Oh, Lord, let us know that your love is enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give the praise team a hand clap of praise. Amen. I start this journey today with a simple question. And it almost picks up right where we left off last week. And the question is, how far will you go for the Lord? Is there something that causes you to rely on Jesus Christ more than you would rely on yourself? Are you willing this day to embrace the promises of God and to seek righteousness? In other words, are you willing to go all the way for God? The book of Romans sometimes can be seen as a challenging book. Sometimes we forget how things actually start in the Old Testament. Go forth and get fulfilled. So we're challenged by the time we get to the New Testament. What should we be paying attention to? Sometimes when we want to get deep in our faith, we ask all the great and wonderful theological questions. So what does righteousness really mean? What are the promises of God and how can we remain hopeful this day? And what does it mean to have hope in you? Why is faith so important in our Christian journey? How does it make our life come alive? Well, the question today is simply for the basis of this Romans passage. Do you know there's a promissory note with your name on it? Turn to your neighbor and say, there's a promissory note. There's a promissory note. With my name on it. Does everybody know what a promissory note is? Most of the time when you get to be 21 years or more, you have signed for something. Maybe you've signed for a credit card. Maybe you've got a new bank account and they've offered you, you know, that cheap loan. That loan, if you would just do these things, fill out the credit card application in the airport. And when you begin to use this money, you promise to do what? Pay it back. A promissory note is a commitment that what you signed that you would do, you do and you do it regularly. If there's a promissory note with your name on it, something has been promised and God has put your name on the check. He promised that we would be great people. He promised that Father Abraham would be the father of many nations. He promised that life would be different. There's a promissory note with your name on it. Some of us would say, look, I don't deal with promissory notes. That's the reason I don't go in debt. I don't promise anybody. I just kind of live my life laissez-faire. A little of this and a little of that. And everything seems to go pretty well. I don't have to promise anybody anything. And I don't have to worry about my heart being broken. 
There's reasons that we don't promise and sometimes we don't believe they'll be fulfilled. But if I were to ask each of us to pick up our telephones in the 21st century, we all have call notes. And we expect that when someone leaves us a message that we can either flick back through the numbers or we can check the message that we can figure out who called us. And somewhere there's a subtle promise. If they called and left you a message, you promise to call them back. Those are different kind of promissory notes. Those are life notes. Those are notes that we promise to be relational. We promise to connect to one another. We promise to spend time. Some of us are married. Some of us are single. Some of us are working. Some of us are looking for a job. But every now and then we promise ourselves something. I promise next Monday I'm going to review my resume and see if I can get a job. But if Monday comes and Monday leaves and we never look at our resume, the chances of us beginning the journey on a new career is slim to none. It's a promissory note. It has nothing to do with money. It has all to do with how we will live our lives out. There's other promissory notes that we don't call promissory notes. We've even called our parents and said, I promise I'll call you next week. And we sometimes struggle with that Sunday call with mom or dad, auntie or big mama, whoever, and we don't make the phone call. We say, oh, the day got busy. So there's lots of promises in our lives. We even promised to slow down the last time we got a speeding ticket because it cost us so much. We promised the police officer. We promised the guy at defensive driving. We make promises every day. But sometimes... What happens? They don't get fulfilled. So I want you to think about this part of the book of Romans through the lens of a promissory note. But not just any promissory note, a promissory note that started way back in Abraham's day by God to do some great and wonderful things. Our scripture today has history Paul didn't just start talking about Father Abraham because it was a nice thing to talk about. Paul had some history. Paul had a story that was already told that he was part of a lineage and he expected to get some promise from what had happened to Abraham a long time ago. If I were to ask each of us to get the family tree out, who are you related to? Who are you connected to? How do you connect to the story of Abraham? That's what Paul was seeking to do in the book of Romans. He wanted to share with this group of people that you are connected, not because your only lineage is this, but by faith you are connected. Think about who you are related to. Who's your mama? Who's your daddy? Who's your cousin? Who's married to who? Who's really your play cousin? That's your uncle that you call Uncle Bob that really is your cousin. How are you related to the world and how are you related in life? On our Christian journey, sometimes we say, well, I'm related because I first accepted Christ and I was adopted into the body of Christ. 
That's an important fact to know because we all are in relationship with Jesus Christ. We are in relationship by faith, relationship by connection, relationship by either someone bringing us to Christ as a small baby and saying, I want my baby baptized. And by the grace of God, my baby is connected by faith. And it's my responsibility and my extended community's responsibility to raise up my child. But when my child gets old, we pray that they will not depart from the faith that they are connected to. So in the body of Christ, we are connected by our relationship and our faith to Jesus Christ. But why do I start this? Because Father Abraham was a man of 75 years of age. And a promise had been made unto him that he would be the father of many nations. He would birth a, a baby into the world. His wife would give birth. And the bottom line is they had gotten old. And Sarah was barren. And the story is told that he says, well, I don't know. I'm really not sure whether this promise is going to be fulfilled. So sometimes a promise is made and it is doubt or fear or challenge or situations or other things that make us think, well, maybe God wasn't really promising us that. If you look at Genesis chapter 15, you can write these passages down, verses 15 to 18, and then Genesis 7, 1 through 14. But I want to prick and pull out particularly Genesis 15, verses 6. It says, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land for the river of Egypt. To the great river, the Euphrates. He promised them that they would have land. He promised that there would be a situation that would occur. They would always have land. When we read the passage of Romans today, land was also promised. Many of us own homes and many of us are in spaces and places, but we forget about the land that was promised. So I want you to think this way as we begin this journey God promised Abraham land and his descendants land. Have we stepped up to believe that we're part of the lineage of Abraham to get the land that is promised unto us? He had to do some work to get that land. And a lot of times we think the promise is that it would be given unto us, that we don't have to do anything for it to occur. We are expected to have faith. We are expected to believe. We are expected to walk in a newness and understand that the promise will be fulfilled in the time that God says it will be fulfilled. So it's not only the promise of land, but it's the promise of fulfillment in the time frame that the Lord says it would happen. If you jump over to Genesis chapter 17, particularly verses 15 through 17, it says, God also said to Abraham, your wife, Sarah, you are no longer to call her Sarah. You are to call her Sarah. He changed her name. So as a promise goes, sometimes God will change and transform us and make us anew. He'll change the spelling of your name. He'll change your attitude. He'll change your location. He'll change where you're going. And you'll say, well, you promised me land. And I thought it was going to look like that. But he changed it. He changed Sarah's name to Sarah. I will bless her and surely... Give you a son by her. 
Well, I want to pitch a tent right there. It goes on to say, and I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nation. King of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He actually laughed at God and said to himself, huh, will a son be born to a man that's 100 years old? And will Sarah, a woman who is of 90 years old, bear a child? I'm not going to ask anybody in here how old you are, but we always say the clock stops at some point. The ticker stops at some point. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. There are miracles that are promised unto us and we block those miracles, not because we don't believe the land will come, not because we don't believe God's time is real, but we have just decided ourselves personally, excuse me, it's too late. The body doesn't agree. The mind doesn't agree. What are you talking about, God? How can you say a baby, a child, a son will come through my being, my body, and will be the beginning of a brand new nation? Some of this symbolism affects many of us, but some of us say, look, I'm just trying to get on the land. I'm just trying to get a new job. I'm just trying to make it through the summer. I'm just trying to press on. I'm really just trying to find out my purpose and place in life. And you're talking about get land. I'm just trying to pay for my first apartment. Well, that's your land. I'm trying to get my first house. That's your land. I'm trying to keep the mortgage people from running me crazy. Hold on to your land. We put it in a different perspective because we say, oh, excuse me, that was Old Testament. How could you tell us that that was part of today? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let's roll the bean footage back up to Romans. What did the book of Romans tell us this morning in the reading? What did it tell us in the passage? What is it telling us? It simply says in verse 13, for the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or did not come to his dis, uh, descendants through the law, but through and by righteousness of faith. So a lot of times we are legalistic. My grandmother owned this land. She promised it to me. Papa owned this land and I'm going to the court and I'm going to sue somebody to get my land. Have you gone anywhere and prayed over it? Have you talked to God about the land? Have you been diligent with the land? Have you proceeded and gone forth and made a phone call about the land? Do you understand the critical nature of the promise of land? Will you keep the land up when you get it? Some of us fight for the land and then when we get on it, we, 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 we're, we're terrible landowners. We don't clean it up. We don't keep it right. We're not righteous with it. And then somebody says, how could you take my land? Because when God gave it to you, you misused it. So the thing I want to look at is as we revisit the thought of what is faith, faith being the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Faith is grounded in the love of Jesus Christ and based on Romans 1, 17, it says faith guides us and directs us on how we should live. So if we're going to receive the land and we're going to expect the promises and we're going to walk it out by faith. We've got to understand at the time frame when we receive the promises of God, whatever it is, that we will be ready to receive it. Why are we talking about that, Pastor? What does that mean to me? It's almost like gibberish. If you hope beyond hope and ask God to change and transform you, 
And then you just decide you're going to sit and do nothing. Oh, yes, God made a covenant with me. But I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do anything until I'm for sure. I'm going to hope for hope, but I, I'm just going to sit right here. I, I'm never going to apply for a job because I'm waiting for someone to give it to me. Um, I'm never going to volunteer to do anything because I think they ought to just bring it to me. I'm just going to wait on the Lord right here because my promise is right here. This little square right here is mine. That's not what that scripture is telling us. That's not what it means to get hung up. That's not what it means to walk out your faith and live in the way in according to God. That's not what righteousness means in action. That's not what it looks like. But what it looks like is that the promise will come to pass. Not because of the mandate of the law. But the righteousness of God. In this basket, there are rocks. Would you take a rock, please? Would you take a rock, please? Pass one down. Will you take a rock, please? Will you take a rock? Someone, there's a flower in there. You can take the flower. What do those rocks say? Tell me what your first rock says. Mine says wisdom. Wisdom. What does your rock say? Hope. Hope. Uh-huh. Love. Believe. Peace. When we're seeking the promises of God, many of those things will come into our life. And if they only remain as a rock, And there's never any moment where our heart is broken. And there's never any moment where the promise is tested. There's never any moment when we get to the point where we're not sure, where we cry out to God and say, God, I'm fearful, but I want your wisdom. We miss the chance to allow us to walk and move. If we're seeking wisdom and we start this journey, We have to take steps to move. By the time we embrace wisdom, we need some hope to take that next step. We can be wise with God. We can think about God. We can even love God. But we have to hope in order for us to begin the next journey. Along with hope and wisdom, we also have to have a grounding in love. These things can be placed very strategically in our lives. and We can believe and want and even know that a promise of God, there's a promissory note on your life, but you don't want to touch that yet because your heart is still hurting from the last time you tried to love somebody. So you kind of leave aside. The bottom line is you need love and wisdom. You need the countenance. You need that promise to balance itself out. You also need to be covered and bathed in the grace of a most high God. But if you stay right here and you spend all your time bowing down and had your knees at this altar. And all you did was say, I love you, Lord. You heard my cry. Thank you, God, that you are wise and wonderful, God. And you stayed on your knees, but you never stepped up. 
and grabbed hold of hope. And if you never attempted to believe again, your hope would almost be moved down here. It would never get off the top step because you wouldn't believe in a true and living God. The one that you have, peace. Sometimes we want the promise of God, but we're afraid of the promissory note. We want peace under all costs. And instead of being active in our seeking for the land and for the promise and the inheritance, we just say, peace be still, and I'm going to be still too. I'm just going to sit right here and be peaceful. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to talk to nobody. I'm not going to call nobody. And I'm definitely not going to communicate because I want to be peaceful. Are you a risk taker for Jesus? Do you want the promises of God? Do you want to inherit the passion? Do you want the Holy Spirit fire in your heart moving in every aspect of your life? Are you willing to work or have you decided if it's not a corporate location and it's not six figures, then I can't do that. But what if you gave up your peace of mind and just set it down and said, I yield unto the Lord for the promises of God are real. I want the righteousness of God. I want to do the right thing in accordance to the will of God. I want to be molded in shape. I'm willing to say that I know that the Lord thy God has given me free grace. I want to embrace the promises of God. And I've, I've just decided I'm a hope beyond hope. I'm a hope so high, I'm going to take about four or five steps. I'm going to leap up to the top of the situation. I'm a hope that the promise is real because I'm going to grab hold to the most high God. And then I'm going to seek to smell the roses because my peace is important, but the promises of God are alive. I'm going to seek the land. I'm going to seek the passion. I'm going to seek to be made new. I'm going to seek to know that the promissory note with my name is real. God has already paid the price. So the promissory note is good. It won't bounce. It won't go to the bank and come back. It won't turn upside down and not yield something. It won't come back void. It's not null. It's not void. It's real. For we serve a true and living God. The promises of God are being answered right now. There's a family here that prayed about some land. God is doing something new through that family. There's a man here that knows what the community's needs are and are connecting in lots of different ways. The promises are going forward. There's a young man that's seeking employment and somebody has heard his cry and know that he is a passionate and awesome young man 
that his career is being changed and transformed. God is answering prayers all over this house. Will you stand for the promissory note? Will you stand and allow God to move on your life? Will you give him permission so that you will believe again? The promissory note is real. I invite you to stand. Give God a hand clap of praise because your note is being turned in. And he's saying today is the day I'm cashing in and your promises are coming forth. We ask all this in your precious son Jesus' name. Hallelujah.